Right, so we're in Brompton Cemetery. We're in Brompton Cemetery, Andrew. It's the annual <laughs> Halloween podcast. <laughs> uh, spooky or peaceful? Do you think it's quite peaceful, actually? This one's peaceful, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, very beautifully laid out. Really beautiful. Famous for its flora and fauna, amongst other things. A nature reserve. 40 acres. 40 acres. Okay, now, is this one of the the so-called Great Seven? Magnificent Seven. Named after the Western. (laughs) This is the Yule Brenner of... (laughs) The Yule Brenner of dead centres. Very good. Yeah, I think they were set out towards the end of the... Uh, well, the 1830s, uh, there was, I think the city churchyards were just over-brimming with bodies. And um, there was a particular one, St. Olav's, in the city of London, where apparently there was, uh, uh, there'd been heavy rainfall, and the next day people walked through the churchyard, still six or seven putrefied corpses had kind of risen up to the surface. So it was a huge national scandal. And also, I think, you know, there was decaying matter was getting into the, into the water supply, I and mean, it was causing epidemics. So, and also they thought it was just a very degrading way to bury people. You know, there was, you know, you'd have a coffin, thin layer of lime and soil, another coffin, another, and they were just, you know, so it wasn't great. So they decided to build these gigantic cemeteries on the outskirts of London. Okay, now the idea is uh, when you say outskirts of London, I suppose uh, in those days, out of sight, out of mind is the idea, uh, deep in the heart of the English countryside as it was then. But But it is based on apparently like an open air cathedral. Okay, because we're in the colonnade here at the periphery. Yeah, yeah. And then we're looking over towards a, a beautiful chapel, dome-shaped chapel. So the Basilica in St. Peter's, but an open-air open air cathedral. OK, a cathedral of the dead. It's, it's, there's something like an, a, the feel of an amphitheatre here as well. Yeah, 205,000 burials, 35,000 headstones. Right. So well, we're talking numbers, I suppose, as the, as the number of... Uh, living Londoners up on their hind legs increases in the 19th century, yeah. so too it follows yeah. the number of permanent Londoners will also yeah. increase. Yeah, yeah. Fourfold uh, increase in the population, is that more or less right, 19th century? I think so, yeah. I mean, certainly from the, the 16th century, the city of London was about 80,000 people, and by the beginning of the 1600s, it was 200,000. By the time of the Great Fire, it was. Well, they reckon now 460, 480,000 people. So it's, you know, even in that period, absolutely quadrupling. So the, 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 the numbers are rocketing, absolutely rocketing. And the same for the period of the 19th century. So, yeah, nobody to, uh, nowhere to bury anyone anymore. And, um, yeah, over brimming, the city over brimming with, with bodies. I don't think anybody's been buried in the city of London since 1865. Is that a ghost? I think it's, the reports have been that a, a ghostly child crying can sometimes be heard in Brompton Cemetery. <laughs> the, the magnificent cemetery, yeah, Kensal Green, West Norwood, Highgate, Abney Park, Nunhead, Brompton and Tower Hamlets. OK, Abney Park was, in Stokey, Stoke Newington. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the Kensal Green is the oldest one, 1832, then Highgate Cemetery, uh, sorry, then West Norwood, and then Highgate Cemetery, and then Abney Park. So actually the Brompton Cemetery was 1840, and then, um, so um, it wasn't the earliest one, Kensal Green was the earliest one, and I think Kensal Green may be the, the, the biggest one, but yeah, 72 acres, so, you know, twice, mm. twice, almost twice as big as uh, the Brompton Cemetery here. Sure. It is incredible though, isn't it? It's really, really beautiful, angels, all kinds of family uh, mausoleums. Yeah, we're on a particularly crisp autumn day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so London wears this milky sunlight very well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to show there's there's a very mysterious uh, mausoleum, which is a uh, well nobody knows quite what it is, but it's like a it's like a TARDIS. So we, we I need to find it, and then I'll try and tell you all about it. 
I think we should drop a sound effect in there. How about this one? Okay, so you've, you've brought me to this imposing, dumb monolith here. It What's is, going it's on? It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it looks like a... Well, it looks like a TARDIS or some kind of time machine, and that's said to yeah. be uh, the legend surrounding it. Now, the idea was there was a there was a, a Egyptologist, archaeologist, maverick, Victorian genius, crackpot, colourful character, character by the sounds. He would make a good London Marks guide. Sounds like one. His name was Samuel Dan, uh, Warner. Samuel Warner, and. Um, uh, one of the ideas was he deciphered, along with a friend of his called Joseph uh, uh, Bonamy, he deciphered um, hieroglyphs from um, Egypt. The Egyptians apparently were very much in, interested in, in, in um, time, in the uh, uh, passage of time and uh, uh, tr uh, time travel. And so he had the secrets of Egyptian time travel. Yes, now this is an amazing tale of a wealthy socialite, an Egyptologist, a mad scientist, and a mausoleum that may hold the secrets of time itself, no less. Hannah Courtoy, who is said to be buried in our TARDIS-shaped mausoleum that Adam and I recommend you should visit, is at Halloween, is described by the Friends of Brompton Cemetery as a mysterious society woman with fabulous wealth. Her actual name was Hannah Peters, and she was born in 1784. In 1799, she left home to escape a drunk and abusive father, and eventually found work as a housekeeper to a John Courtaway. He had settled in London in his early 20s. He was born in France. Um, he initially set up a business as a wig maker, but eventually became a hugely successful merchant, having amassed a gigantic fortune, which made him one of the richest men in London. He also acquired a reputation as a terrible miser. Now, John Cordwood died in 1818, and the principal beneficiaries of his will were disputed in court. He had written a will in 1810, leaving the bulk of his fortune to his former partner. However, a new will, allegedly written in 1814, superseded the will of 1810, and effectively reversed his bequests, making... Hannah Courtoy and her children, the principal beneficiaries. So in the space of four years, it dramatically changed his mind, which was suspicious. Now, um, you can find loads more about the Courtois um, in a book written by a man called David Godson called The Fortune of a Dying Man, which I'd recommend. It's great. Hannah herself died in 1849 and was buried here in Brompton Cemetery. Now, in 1853. So... Um, four years later, mysteriously, her two unmarried daughters were later interned beside her, although the third daughter, who was married, wasn't buried next to her mother. The tomb is therefore often referred to as the tomb of the three spinsters. However, there has been considerable speculation that the tomb is actually a time machine. <laughs> um, now, Reuters in 1998 wrote... Shrouded by trees in the middle of the London's Bromontory Cemetery stands a strange and imposing structure carved with elaborate Egyptian-like figures that has been exciting the interest of writers and researchers. The 150-year-old mausoleum is the only one in the cemetery which no plans can be found. The trapezoid of dark, polished granite is decorated with narrow bands of carved hieroglyphics. There's a huge bronze door for which there is no surviving key. It has not been opened for more than... 120 years.
Now, this very strange story goes that Hannah had been acquainted with a sculptor and architect called Joseph Bonamy the Younger. So, presumably his father was Bonamy the Elder. Joseph had persuaded her, Joseph Bonamy the Younger, had persuaded her to use her vast wealth to fund expeditions to Egypt, to the Valley of the Kings. And Bonamy was from a family of notable architects who shared an interest in Egyptology. The influence of which can be seen, actually, in his um, design of the Egyptian-style entrance to Abney Park Cemetery, one of the Magnificent Seven, not the Western. It was believed that during one of these expeditions, Bonamy had discovered and deciphered a series of hieroglyphic texts laid out by the Egyptians which unlocked the secrets of time travel. This knowledge was then shared with a maverick inventor called Samuel Alfred Warner, who may have been a partner to Bonamy in business, but also in matters, was said, of science, magic and the occult. Whether it was thought they persuaded Courtois to finance the design and building of the tomb as a kind of front for a time machine. And where better to place it but hidden amongst other similar-looking Egyptian monuments popular at the time? Now this... Warner guy is incredible, incredible kind of mad, crackpot, Victorian scientist, straight over H.G. Wells or even Edgar Allan Poe. He had previous form when it came to making claims of flying objects through space and time, believe it or not. He had for a number of decades invited the interest of the Royal Navy to attend a series of stage demonstrations in which he claimed he would teleport, he could teleport a bomb over a distance, a kind of psychic torpedo, invisible shells he called them. Now, the theory being, of course, amongst Time Machine supporters, that he applied um, knowledge and secrets garnered from um, Bonamy's travels in the Valley of the Kings and from the Pharaohs. Unfortunately, the results were less than conclusive, although in fairness, at least one ship was destroyed. But exactly how proved a little harder for him to explain, and he had a few problems kind of recreating the trials. In fact, on further questioning, suddenly he refused to divulge any of his secrets, until, according to his entry in Wikipedia, he'd been assured of payments to the tune of £200,000. He made things even worse when he started talking about his father being um, working um, for the government in a submarine called the Nautilus, which was the first practical submarine, and doing covert work and espionage and how he was involved in it and how he had destroyed uh, two enemy privateers using his invention. Apparently there was no verification and the account was just marred by anachronisms. It sounded like complete cobblers and any further association with Warner was dropped. However, what he seems to be talking about is some kind of prototype torpedo. Now, we do know, and this is the really mysterious bit, that Warner died in very strange circumstances and he's buried in an unmarked grave within metres within meters of the Courtois mausoleum. You can see it. The year was 1853. Now, that's the same year the tomb was completed and Courtois apparently was interned inside. One of the ideas was that Warner was murdered before he could reveal his secrets. Another idea is, is his coffin, is actually his burial site, is actually empty. And while he was actually put in his lab, i.e. his time machine, i.e. the tomb, and Doctor Who style whizzes around the space-time continuum along with Hannah and her daughters. Not the film, her sisters. Perhaps Hannah and her three daughters are actually buried elsewhere. 
As for Bonamy, now he died in 1878. His gravestone also lies within feet of the Courtois tomb. You can see it, and it bears very similar hieroglyphic carvings, including the Egyptian god of the dead, Anubis, A-N-U-B-I-S, who sits or appears to be a replica of the mausoleum. Some people believe this is a vital clue to the mausoleum's secret. The direction Anubis is facing toward the mausoleum suggests in Egyptian mythology a soul lost out of time. Now, this connection with Warner's psychic torpedo has convinced some, according to an article in The Independent, that the Courtois mausoleum is more likely to be a teleportation chamber than a straightforward time machine. It is posited that it was part of a network of chambers erected in the Magnificent Seven, not the film, cemeteries, that were built in a ring around central London in the 19th century. An eighth mausoleum, resembling the Courtois tomb is located in Montmartre Cemetery. So, if the teleportation theory is correct, the independent remark, the network might be used to pop over the channel as well as whiz around London in split seconds and without paying the congestion charge. Very true. The time machine myth received a significant boost in 2003 when the Scottish musician Drew Mulholland, who records under the name Mount Vernon Astral Temple, put a photograph of the Courtois mausoleum on the cover of his album Music That Destroys Itself. The doctored image shows an eerie vortex emanating from the doorway of the tomb. Since the album came out, large cracks have formed on the tomb. Is this significant or... As the cemetery guide says, just the result of recent severe frosts. But is it breaking up or about to open? Supporters of the time machine theory think so. But they also claim it is significant that the Courtois mausoleum is the only tomb in Brompton Cemetery for which there are no plans and no key. They've lost it. Again, not true, says Robert Stevenson, not the writer, who is quoted in the Independent article. He works as a Brompton cemetery guide and he says the crack marks are from frost and his passionate expertise has earned him the name Dr Death. There are no plans for several other prominent tombs in the cemetery and although the key to the Courtois mausoleum is missing, the popular idea that it has not been opened since Hannah was laid to rest is incorrect. Immediately, I think, how did he get, they get the daughters in there? Dr. Death is quoted as saying the Diamashiri theory is a lovely idea and it's brought a lot of interest in the cemetery, but I wouldn't say I was totally behind it. However, you must go down there, check it out yourself. At Halloween, no better time. Just don't step inside if the door mysteriously opens before you. <laughs> It's real kind of Doctor Who land, isn't it? Doctor Who, Sherlock Holmes, it's just sure. wonderful Victorian curiosity. Yeah, now are we looking at something akin to the mythology surrounding Christchurch Spitalfields, mm. um, which, uh, which we end up near there on, on our Jack the Ripper tours, of course. But uh, Hawksmoor's Christchurch is said by some colourful characters to have uh, some... Uh, Occult significance. Right. The lines are the obelisk is symbolic right. of um, some aspect of the occult, and right. that's what I'm getting here. It's um, there, there's it's imposing. It's 
yeah. It's got no front entrance. There seems to be, there's a symmetry to the thing. There's, there's a door. Um, someone's and laid there some... There is, there is a lock there. And uh, some white lilies have been placed yeah. at the door fairly recently. And it looks like you need a big key now. If the key's been lost, uh, you're not going to be going down to some of your local key cutter, are you, to get it? We're talking in the kind Down of Lord to of the Timpsons Rings. to get a, No, it's a hefty key. It's, it's, hefty it's the sort key. of key you could use as a murder weapon in Cluedo. Yeah, it's got a There's heft. There's apparently a certain uh, similar edifice in, in France, in, a, in, a, in Paris, in a, a big cemetery in Paris. The idea is that's another time machine as well. The design here, I'm getting portal. Yeah. Um, with the, the sort of Egyptian frames, one, yeah. two, three, and then a door. It creates the perspective that we're sort of disappearing into the door, yeah. like some sort of time tunnel yeah, here. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking the yeah. design. These are Egyptian hieroglyphs on the side of the door, aren't they? So, um, oh, yes, I mean, I'm reading those here. I'm reading those here. Been. It says, um, the, the hieroglyph there says, um, Kilroy was here. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, the other idea was that it was a very wealthy Victorian family and they built this huge... I mean, the, the, the Victorians really were in this kind of Egyptian-type mausoleum. Yes, there was a real mania for e- Egyptology. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the Petrie Museum is founded uh, by... Uh, well, uh, curated by Will, William Flinders Petrie, right. the major Egyptologist who looked for small things in Egypt rather right. than monumental things. So we learn a lot about... Uh, everyday Egyptian culture from at the Petrie Museum. Um, Miss Amelia Edwards was right. the uh, the founder of the collection. Uh, so yeah, a real mania for Egyptology. And the idea with well, this wealthy guy was horrified when it was it was completed. I thought my family's not being buried there, so actually it's completely empty. Is the other idea? Okay, so there's and he a, paid there's... for the land. He paid for the land, and he paid for it for some time. But it's just here. Nobody's buried in it. Is the other idea. So all kinds of legends surrounding it. But the best one, the time machine. I would say. Ah. So there's a, a great degree of mystery to this. Yeah. I, I like the, the Egyptology uh, angle of things because it is going to lead uh, on to uh, something I'm going to talk about uh, perhaps in the next episode, right, uh, right. looking at uh, my, my favourite old horror movies. We, we, I might take a look at The Mummy. I'm going to do a bit about The Pumpkin as well. Fantastic. Can you do a bit about Pumpkin? The, uh, I, I asked my boys the other day, what shall we do for the Halloween podcast? And Milo said, um, what's The Pumpkin about? So I, I'm going to follow, I don't know. I'm Good question, turnips, Milo. Think, what's The Pumpkin before. about? What's it for? A pumpkin anyway. But, you know, well, soup. Fair enough. Yeah. What's the pumpkin for? It's for soup. A fair, a good parenting. I think it was turnips before. Turnips. Yeah. When I was a kid in Scotland, it was turnips. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. In the, in, back in the 19th century, when Are I was a kid. Out? Are these people getting this? Are they taking it? This is a time machine. What will aliens make of our conversation here? I wonder. I wonder. If this, <laughs> do you think the London Watch podcast will be one of the major artefacts left behind for civilization? So. They can stick it in a time capsule like this. <laughs> in part two of this Halloween podcast. Andy will be talking pumpkins, and I'm going to be staying up late watching old horror movies. Thanks for listening. The London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. The London Walks podcast was an APB production.